With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic D Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Austria's finest naturally authentic pumpkin seed oil from the Steiermark, available at organicuniverse.com. Listeners of The Organic View can receive a dollar off their purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. And don't forget to check out our contest section. In the world of commercial beekeeping, the American almond pollination season is the biggest in the world. It is also the most important indicator of what can be expected regarding the longevity of the colonies. Each year, Tom and I have examined a myriad of issues plaguing beekeepers in their plight to maintain the health of their colonies as they struggle to keep their operations afloat. On today's show, Tom and I are going to talk to Jean Brandy, who is the president of the American Beekeeping Federation, about some of the key issues facing commercial beekeepers this season. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June. And how are things in Colorado with your bees? Well, we uh, have passed from our string of warm, sunny, dry days into a snowstorm, so it's been snowing all day. Typical of uh, Colorado winter, up and down, roller coaster ride. But uh, some of the early trees are beginning to flower, and... That's the first sign of spring for us. Thank you, Tom. And our guest today, Mr. Gene Brandy. Good afternoon, Gene, and welcome to the show. Thank you, June. My pleasure to be here. Gene, can you take a moment and share with our listeners a little bit about yourself as well as your role with the American Beekeeping Federation? Sure. Well, I've been keeping bees for... uh, for quite some time. I started keeping bees in the early 70s uh, when I was going to college uh, down at uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and uh, actually was working for beekeepers at that time and one of the beekeepers uh, allowed me to lease 100 hives from him that we kind of ran on a partnership basis and and, um, I took the bees down to San Luis Obispo and made a lot of honey in the early 70s because we had an El Nino year kind of like we're having this year and um, I got hooked. So uh, I've had my own business since the late 1970s, and uh, today my son and I operate about 2,000 colonies when they're all alive and healthy um, for uh, honey production as well as pollination here in Central California. We live in Los Banos, but we, uh, we operate in a range of about, oh, probably within 100 miles of here, depending upon the year, depending upon the season. Um, and uh, certainly this time of year, uh, the almonds, you know, being the largest bee pollination event in the world, 
uh, are right here in our backyard. I mean, we live in the Central Valley of California, which is ground zero for almond pollination. Right now there are 1.2 million acres of almonds in the valley where I live here, so uh, it certainly is a, a major part of, of what we do. I started putting bees and almonds for pollination back in the early 70s when I was working for the other beekeepers. So I've been moving bees to almonds and keeping bees and almonds for pollination for well over 40 years, actually over 45 years. Um, so uh, it's something I've been doing for a long, long time. But back in those days in the 70s, uh, acreage was much less and it was not a, a national event as it is today. So uh, it certainly is an important part of California agriculture and an important part of the bee industry, uh, not only for me, but for, for the majority of the beekeepers in the USA who are here right now in Central California with their bees. Thank you, Jean. Could you share with our listeners what are some of the issues that face our beekeepers during this pollination season? Well, certainly our bee health issues have have been a major problem for for beekeepers in the USA for quite a number of years now. Um, you know, colony collapse disorder became a uh, a household term, if you will, or common term nationwide back in 2006, but we started having issues even before that. Uh, matter of fact, in 2004, we had a nationwide uh, shortage of bees. Uh, a lot of the bees died and everything, but basically we've got some major issues that we're dealing with that are impacting the health of our beehives negatively. Certainly varroa mites is an issue. Pesticide exposure is an issue. Lack of good forage, lack of good healthy uncontaminated forage is an issue as well and there's also some diseases but from from my perspective if the varroa mite level can be controlled in the colony that can really help to minimize the disease especially the viruses because varroa is a vector of viruses if exposure to certain pesticides that compromise the immune system of the bee can be minimized or eliminated then there's other diseases that the bees would not even you know, succumb to because uh, their immune systems would be healthy enough to uh, to withstand them. So, so mites, pesticides, poor forage, and diseases are the four major issues that uh, have been impacting the health of our bees. Thank you. Can you explain how the American Beekeeping Federation helps other beekeepers deal with these types of issues? Well, the American Beekeeping Federation endeavors to help its members learn about the issues we're facing and, and means uh, to deal with them through the, our annual convention. We have an annual convention every January, and it, uh, it rotates around the country from the East Coast to the central part of the country to the West Coast. And we just concluded our uh, annual convention in Galveston, Texas, last month. As a matter of fact, uh, that particular convention was a joint convention of our organization, the American Beekeeping Federation, as well as the American Honey Producers and the Canadian Honey Council, um, we all met together. So it was a very large event, and indeed uh, we had speakers from all over the country, all over the world actually. We had international speakers as well who were there to talk about uh, the various issues that we're dealing with and, and, and means of, of dealing with them you know, through, through scientific research. And uh, we've also got a, uh, quite a, an educational webinar series that, that, that we, uh, we have monthly webinars and often we have two a month and uh, there's all kinds of topics that are covered in these webinars 
that uh, that can help beekeepers of, of all sizes. You know, because we have the ABF has members that are just beginning. Maybe they've only got one or two hives. We've also got members that have 25,000 colonies or more. So we, our membership is is uh, is quite varied. Uh, all all beekeeping, of course, uh, we're all beekeepers, but nonetheless, the the size of the operations of our members vary from very small to very large. And so we 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 make an attempt to to service uh, each and every one of them. Gene, your uh, tenure in beekeeping has covered the evolution of almond pollination almost from the beginning. When you started, that pollination was probably satisfied by California beekeepers, and as the almond acreage grew, growers began to reach further and further out for bees and beekeepers, and now they come from the East Coast, the Gulf Coast, Florida. Um, it must have been an interesting journey for you as a beekeeper. Well, what I say, you're right, Tom. What I've what I've said uh, for a long time, and I, it's, it's still true today, that the increase in demand for for bees uh, during almond pollination is the best thing and the worst thing that's ever happened to California beekeeping. And uh, it's wonderful to to be able to rent my colonies to to growers that are within 10 miles of my house, and we've got a lot of almonds just really close to where I live and uh, uh, that that's wonderful but uh, that's the good news the bad news is that we do have beekeepers from all of the country that are right here in our valley um, and uh, you know any any pests or diseases that are that are prevalent anywhere in the country are going to be brought right here to my backyard and some of the people who are from colder states that don't want to go home Immediately after almond pollination is done in the middle of March, uh, stick around and uh, and we've got extra competition in honey making areas where we used to have a lot less competition, Tom. So, so yeah, I have seen the evolution and um, and it's good and and there's a there's some not so good to it as well. But nonetheless, it is a very important pollination, you know, the most important pollination in the USA and uh, and perhaps in the world. Gene, can you explain how the American Beekeeping Federation is working with the Almond Board of California? You know, the Almond Board of California has worked with beekeepers, not not only with the ABF, but with the California State Beekeepers, and and um, uh, they've even got some of us uh, on their Almond Board Bee Task Force. I've been a member of that for, gosh, quite a few years now, uh, and uh, they really want to have the input from the bee industry uh, to help them uh, in their selection of projects, any research projects that they like to fund, because they do have uh, have a large research budget, and a portion of that budget is allocated toward pollination research, and uh, they've funded a lot of honeybee research projects over the years. So that's one way that they help, to, that the onboard helps the bee industry. Another way, another issue that's come up uh, in recent years, there's been some issues with the uh, the application of uh, fungicides and insect growth regulators to blooming almonds, and uh, and it's caused some problems uh, for our bee colonies. Uh, none of those products have any bee warning on their labels, so that there's no um, legal reason that they cannot be applied to blooming almonds uh, when the bees are there. But uh, but nonetheless, uh, there have been some problems. Uh, these products are non-toxic to adult bees, but but uh, these products, especially in combination, uh, you know, due to synergism, 
uh, are causing problems with the brood. That's the developing bees. You know, the uh, when the queen lays an egg, it takes 21 days for uh, an adult bee to hatch out um, uh, through the metamorphosis of the larval and the pupal stages. Well, um, the um, the insect growth regulator fungicide combinations have caused uh, disruption in the normal development of uh, the baby bees, if you will. So um, given that there's no legal reason that this can't be done, but nonetheless it's not a good idea that this be done, the Almond Board has partnered with uh, the bee industry to come up with some best management practices that they are urging all almond growers to adopt. And, uh, and this, this includes not tank mixing insect growth regulators with fungicides. And uh, if fungicides are used during bloom, that they be applied late in the day on into the evening when the, uh, when the pollen is pretty much gone for the day. And so bees will not be collecting or will have a, a lot lower likelihood of collecting contaminated pollen. Um, and they also recommend that no insecticides of any kind be applied, of course, during bloom. That includes the IGRs, the insect growth regulators. So they've got some, some very good best management practices that, that many growers have adopted, and it has helped. We've had fewer incidences of the brood damage um, um, here in the last couple of years, but nonetheless, there are still some growers and applicators that, that uh, have not uh, latched on to these best management practices yet. But but uh, with regards to your question, the Almond Board has gone, you know, far and above beyond what I ever thought they would do to try to help. And I mean, they're 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 really trying to get growers to adopt these best management practices, which is it's probably as good as we can do under the circumstances because the fact that the labels of these products don't prohibit their application to blooming almonds or their tank mixing together. And, and we really think that there should be some more testing of these products to really get to the bottom of, of which combinations uh, or wh which products or which combinations of products are really uh, the root of the problem. Because when we do have uh, brood damage, it can be very severe. I mean, you pretty much lose a whole generation or more of, um, of brood. It's all a function of how much con contaminated pollen the, the bees collect. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, there can be some severe brood damage um, in almonds if these best management practices are not followed. Gene, on this end, I've talked to beekeepers from both ends of the spectrum. I've talked to commercial beekeepers who feel that their colonies have fallen apart after they've returned from the almonds. And on the other end, I've talked to commercial beekeepers who've told me that they're they're just boiling out of the boxes when they come back from the almonds. And I'm not sure whether the best management practices are involved in that, but they may very well be. You know, Tom, um, they, they could very well be, or as in, in so much of, of beekeeping, uh, it's kind of like real estate. It's, it's all about location, location, location. Um, even if, if best management practices are not followed to the T, uh, if if the bees are in a location where there's some alternative forage, where there's uh, where there's other sources of pollen or nectar uh, that the bees are working in addition to the almonds, they're helping to dilute any contamination that might be in the almond pollen. So it's it's the old axiom: the dose is the poison. And if the bees happen to be in a location where there's a lot of other forage besides almond, 
the, the bees will tend to work the almonds first, and then they'll, then they'll go to other plants later in the day if they're there. And, and they do help to, to dilute that and, and give them a, a more balanced diet, which is very, you know, as we know, that's very helpful for the bees. The more balanced diet they have, the better. So, uh, so I think it could be a function of both, Tom. I've talked to some commercial beekeepers who've told me that uh, there's some flooding because of the rains and the, and the rivers rising. How serious a problem is that? Uh, again, it's all about location, location, and location. Um, this is the first year that we've had serious flooding in California in, in over a decade. And uh, we, here we've been praying for a, for a wet year, and we finally got it. Uh, it's, it's here uh, uh, in, with a vengeance, if you will. Uh, but we're, as beekeepers, I mean, we're always looking for a nice wet year because it does mean more forage for the bees and a, and a generally a good honey year in the long run. But but there are some places where where bees just should not be placed when it's a wet year because of uh, you know uh, rising rivers and creeks. Uh, my my brother, as a matter of fact, my brother is also in the bee business, and he had some bees that were in a holding yard in January. This is prior to almonds that got washed down a field, oh about 100 yards or between 100 and 200 yards from where they initially were, the creek broke its banks and just washed them down. And it's, 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 he never would have thought that there'd ever be an issue there. He'd never had an issue there in 30 years, but, uh, but there was an issue this year. So uh, things like that pop up. And there certainly are almond orchards in the valley that are near rivers uh, or creeks where the bees, uh, if they, if they were in low lying area, they could have gotten flooded. And uh, most of the beekeepers realized you know, ahead of time that, hey, this is a low-line area. I'm gonna, I can't put bees on this side of the orchard or, or in this area because of that. And, and uh, But nonetheless, there has been a little bit of flooding uh, that has hurt some beehives. But uh, um, it's, it's, what, it's, what we, it's the price we have to pay, Tom, for having a nice wet year. Part, part of the risk, we have to be careful what we hope for. We may have That's gotten right. more than we bargained for this year. Oh, yeah, yes. Yes, a lot of these reservoirs that were down to absolutely minimum pool uh, at the beginning of the rainy season uh, in early November are now uh, spilling over the spillways and, and uh, they're they're full. And, and uh, of course, like with the Oroville situation, they were concerned that they might actually lose, if not lose the dam, at least lose that that emergency spillway that would have caused quite a quite a wall of water up in the Sacramento Valley and, and would indeed have wiped out a lot of beehives and almond orchards along the way. We're but coming to California in mid-April to shake bees and we're beginning to wonder how this uh, wet weather may affect the scheduling of that. Yeah, uh, the, the colonies, especially up in Northern California, had, don't have the flight hours. They've not had the flight hours that, uh, that we normally like to see. Uh, in order to get the pollination job done and, and to allow them to build up you know, because bees need flight hours in order to, to go through the normal build-up process and increase their populations. So um, Northern California especially um, has been short on flight hours uh, so far, uh, but um, you know, we're, we're hopeful that that's going to change. And uh, certainly the forage is going to be there uh, because of the rains. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of mustard and Fillery and fiddle neck and, and different thing, different uh, ground flowers that are out there uh, for the bees to work, even after almonds are done. Uh, so uh, we do have a lot of forage, but we just need good, good weather for the bees to be able to go out and fly to it. 
Jean, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time. I know that this is the beginning of the season, and your time is so precious. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Could you share ABF's website with our listeners and also how beekeepers can become more involved? Sure. Well, the American Beekeeping Federation website is abfnet.org, and you can check that out and and find out um, uh, a great deal of what the ABF has to offer. Uh, We have memberships of... uh, of all sizes, again, as I mentioned, we have small-scale uh, sideliner commercial memberships, uh, and um, uh, any membership of, of any of any scale will allow you to access the webinars, and 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 you get the electronic newsletter as well as the uh, uh, the bi-monthly uh, printed newsletter uh, that has uh, you know the, the e-newsletter and the printed newsletter have all kinds of information that's uh, current. That's, that's helpful to uh, to beekeepers of any size, and uh, um, and of course, uh, Gerald, welcome to come to our annual convention. Our next convention is going to be in Reno, Nevada, in January of 2018, uh, at the Grand Sierra Resort. So um, uh, I'd love to see love to see you there. But certainly, the American Beekeeping Federation again is the largest. Uh, national beekeeping organization in in the USA. And, uh, it's also the oldest, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, it's, it was uh, initially formed in 1943, and um, uh, you know we've got state beekeeper organizations that are older than that. But uh, from a national perspective, it is the oldest national organization. Uh, so, um, uh, anyway, proud to be president of it, and um, uh, you know. Thank you we, for the invitation. Okay, I, I'd yeah, like to. We, I'd like to return the invitation. I'd like to invite you back after the pollination season is fin- after the almond pollination season is finished to give us an update as far as how things went because I know each year it's been really very tricky for the the commercial beekeepers so it'll be interesting this year to see how they fare and how the bees managed so uh, please if you if you have the time we'd love to have you back. I'd, I'd love to do that. I'd love to just let me know, and I'd, I'd, I'd be glad to give an update how things went. Thank you, Gene. I just wanted to say thank you, Gene. It's good to talk with you again. Gene and I last talked face-to-face, I think, in Omaha in 1996. Obviously, we've seen our names frequently, but I don't believe we've talked since then. I think you're right, Tom. It's, it's been since the late 90s sometime, and, and uh, great to to hear your voice again and, and um, look forward to talking to you in the future. Well, we're both still at it, so that's a positive, I guess. Yeah, we're, we're both surviving somehow, some way. We're surviving yep. in the bee industry. Yep. Well, folks, please tune in each week to listen to Tom as he and I continue to explore these issues that beekeepers across the globe are dealing with. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please check out the companion article, which will be available on TheOrganicView.com. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with The Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.